Bibles, guys, I'm going to ask you to turn back with me to the gospel according to St. John, uh, chapter number 15, and uh, we'll begin our reading at verse number 11. St. John, chapter number 15, verse number 11, as we put the finishing touches on this series that we've been delving through for the last 10 weeks, and we've asked ourselves the question, do we really care? Do you really care about people? Do you really care about God's will for your life? Do you really care? Amen. And through this series, we've we've challenged ourselves to look at different components of the faith walk and different components that show us whether or not we really care. And lastly, we are focusing in on discipling people because ultimately that's what we're trying to get to the point to where we are being discipled ourselves and we have put ourselves in a position to where we are discipling others. Okay. So in John, the 15th chapter, verse number 11, uh, we'll begin reading from the new living translation, John 15, verse number 11. The text says, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. 14, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slave. Now you are my friends since I've told you everything the father told me, okay? Uh, You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other, okay? Love each other. So we've been dealing with, do you really care? And we left off last week on this particular component talking about uh, discipling people discipling people. Glory to God. Now, um, one of the things that, that we shared with you and, uh, is that in Matthew, the 28th chapter, Jesus gave the, the, what is known as the, the great commission where he told us to go into all the world, preaching the gospel. Uh, and he told us to, in, in, in short order, to make disciples. Is that correct? And disciple making, we discovered, is a, is a process that, that takes time and effort. Uh, many believers have, uh, I think, have, have failed to, to properly commit ourselves to being disciple and properly discipling other people. But care ministry, remember we said our, our core principle was what? We said care is discipling. Care is discipling. Everybody say care is discipling. Caring is the epitome of living out the great commandment or the great commission that Jesus Christ gave us in Matthew, the 28th chapter, when he says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you and lo, I'm with you always and even to the end of the world. So care is the epitome of living out that great commandment, that great commission, you know, because one of the things that we we shared with you, one of the, the times when people are most, I think, uh, 
open to hearing God about God's love, open to being uh, guided and directed in the things of God is when they're going through times of adversity or tragedy, right? Our first series, uh, the first part is uh, this uh, particular series that we're dealing with. We talked about the fact that in the subtopic was growing through adversity because we know that there are times in our lives when God will allow things to come upon us that we didn't expect, that we were not looking for, and we really didn't want to have in our life. How many of y'all have had some of those unwanted valley experiences? Whether it was a job situation, whether it was a health situation, whether it was uh, a relationship that had, that had gone bad, whatever it may be, when we face those times of adversity, it's in those times that if we learn how to go through it the right way, then we can grow in our faith. Like no other time than when we're going through adversity is our prayer life more fervent, more focused, and more uh, in tune with what God wants for our life because we are seeking his help. So likewise, as the body of believers, when we are uh, called upon to care for people, when we're called upon to minister to people, uh, when they are going through something, that's when, that's when God sets their hearts in a position where they're more receptive to the gospel message that we are caring to them. So caring is the epitome of living out that great commandment. Go up there right quick. To Colossians, the second chapter, verse number two, two through seven. Colossians chapter number two, verses two through seven. Okay, because uh, I want us to see this in, in let's see what Paul, as he writes to the saints in Colossae, tells us through this particular passage. Colossians chapter number two, verses two through seven. Watch what the text says. It says, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of what? Love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. Verse three, let's read. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In who? Who? In Christ. In Christ lies hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Next verse, let's read. I am telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. Verse five says what? For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you and I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith is in, that your faith in Christ is what? Strong. Now Paul is commending the saints at Colossae about their faith walk, but look at what it says in the next verse. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to do what? Follow him. I am convinced that there are people sitting in this church today, there are people in the body of Christ who made a decision for Christ, but then sometimes our following of him can get a little shaky. Am I right about it? Sometimes our following Christ may not be where it needs to be. So Paul here is encouraging them. He says, just as you accepted Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Verse number seven, let's read it out loud on purpose. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on who? Him. Who is him? Jesus, right? Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. You will overflow with thankfulness. So what, what Paul does here in this passage, he connects 
our faith walk and he connects our ability to learn and to grow and to have knowledge to Christ Jesus himself. He says, let your roots grow down in him. Now, all of us know that if, if you're going to be solid, if a tree is going to be solid, the roots have to run deep into the ground and take, take anchor, right? When, when you're solidly grounded like a tree is, as, as the Bible tells us, it'll be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water. Amen. That's strong. That, that, that means that tree is strong. That tree is not, even though it may bend, even though uh, storms may come, that tree's root runs deep such that it is not, uh, it does not break, it does not topple over because it goes deep into the ground, right? So what Paul is saying to us is, if we're going to be solid, if we're going to be disciple makers, we have to make sure that our roots run deep in who? Baptist doctrine? No. It says uh, 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 Episcopalian doctrine, Catholic doctrine? No. He says, let your roots run deep where? In Christ Jesus. See, Jesus is the one who gives us, amen, a solid foundation. So when we talk about caring, we said that our, our core principle is that to care, care is discipling others. Now, I, I left you with a couple of points here on last week, and let's kind of extrapolate on those right quick. We said that as Christians, there are three things that we are to do, right, as Christians. And by the way, when we begin to do these things, they're not necessarily comfortable for us. The first thing we told you was as Christians, we are to do what? Engage people. You're not going to disciple people and, and, uh, and be effective in helping transform someone's life if you're not willing to engage with them, to, to connect with them. Let me read something to you. Um, Sister Bonnie gave this to, Bonnie Heisen gave this to me. And it was a good little read, so I want to read it to you right quick. It's, it's, this, this author says this, and I agree with it. It says, effective ministry is seldom carried on within our comfort zone. Let me read again. Effective ministry is seldom carried on within our comfort zone. Now, let me, let me see the hands of all those out there who likes to stay, you like to stay in your comfort zone. Let me see your hands. I mean, come on now. You know, most of us like what we like, and we like to stay where we like it, and, and, and we don't want too much moving us from that what? comfort zone. We have certain people who we are comfortable with, right? We have certain places where we are comfortable going. Am I right about it? We have, we have certain things that we like that we are comfortable with, but what this author says, and I agree with it, effective ministry is seldom carried on within our comfort zone. When we're ready to do what God wants in an all-out way, he seldom keeps us at a place that we would choose to make our home. God doesn't extend to us the right to choose the how, the where, and the when we serve him. I got to repeat that because, see, many of us sitting here, we want to choose when we serve God. We want to choose how we serve God. We want to even choose who God can use us to serve. And what he says here is that, listen to, listen to real carefully, uh, he seldom keeps us at a place that we would choose to make our home. God doesn't extend us the right to choose the how, the where, and the when we serve him. We, only, we have only one right, one decision, one choice to make. That is whether or not we will follow him. Let me say it again. We only have one right, one decision, one choice to make. That is whether or not we will follow him. 
If people are truly called, their choices are not many. God will lead them to a school and into situations from which they can learn. He will then lead them to a place and type of service. Too many of us have decided on the acceptable parameters of service and we offer up our choices to God for him to accept. God, now listen, uh, I'll serve you, but not on Saturday. God, I'll serve you, but but, but you know what, God, I'm not going to go over there because I don't, I'm not too comfortable with those people. God, uh, uh, I'm available to you. You can use me like you want to use me, except don't, 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 don't require me to go and minister to Aya because I don't like her. See, we put parameters on God and we put parameters around how we're going to serve and God doesn't give us that option. The only option he gives us is to choose to follow him. And then he puts us in different situations to mold us, to shape us and get us to the point to where he can utilize us in whatever capacity and whatever field of service he decides to use us in. See, if you're not ready to say, God, I give up my will for your will, then you're not ready, you're really not ready to serve. He says he calls, uh, he says he calls, he decrees, he ordains. And blessed are they who recognize that they have one choice and say yes to that choice. We have one choice, that's to say yes to God. God will use us in areas often. I found this to be true in my life. He'll use when, he, when, when we're most effective is in the times when God uses us in areas that we're not really comfortable with. Guys, I'm gonna tell you something. There, if you had a if you had a polled me back in high school or even in college, uh, and you had a you had a said, Brother Adams, do you see yourself ever preaching the gospel? I would have told you, are you out of your mind? Because that was not my comfort zone. My comfort zone was not speaking in front of people. Amen? How many of y'all are a little uncomfortable talking in front of people? All right? In, in your natural bent, okay? Now some of y'all, some of y'all out there are talkers. Some of y'all can get up and you can talk to a signpost for 24 hours and it won't move you. But there's a lot of us in here who, who grew up and, and, and fear of speaking in front of people was something that, that we dreaded. But here, God used a shy guy from Benton, Louisiana, to preach his gospel. This, is, this, this, this would not have been something that I chose. But see, when God is going to use you, oftentimes he'll take you out of your comfort zone. And so we can't sit there and say yes to God, but then say no to his will for our life. We don't have that choice. God will choose to use us and call us into the particular areas that he wants us to to, to flow in. And so what I would suggest to each one of us is when we, when we submit ourselves to God, don't submit ourselves, don't submit yourself with, with, with boundaries and parameters that you try to put on God. Because when we're most effective, it's in times when areas where we are not necessarily comfortable in. And I believe God does that for a reason. Because if, if, we, are, if we are only used in areas where we have expertise, where we have skill sets, where we have experience, then what do we begin to do? We begin to trust our expertise, our experience, our skill sets to get it done. And God does not want anybody doing anything to get glory for themselves. Because if you think that it was your skill set, your expertise, and your experience that got you there, you'll start to get built up a little bit because after all, I got all the tools. 
What did God say? He says he's chosen the foolish things of this world to do what? To confound the wise. God chooses to use that which seems to be insignificant, unimportant, uh, not, not capable, and he'll use that to get his glory done so that no flesh can glory in his presence. God oftentimes uses the underdog, the one that people didn't expect to do a certain thing. And he'll use that person who's willing to say yes to his will and who's willing to trust him. And he'll use that person to transform this world. Now, now watch. This. So, so again, I said, uh, as Christians, we are to engage with people. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2 with me right quick. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. And we're going to look at verse number 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 1. Talking about discipling people. Because if we're going to be effective disciplers, First of all, we got to be disciples ourselves. But, but beyond that, we have to be willing to engage with people. All kinds of people. People who you in your natural element probably and maybe would not engage with. But when you're becoming a, a purveyor of the truth of the gospel, when you're becoming who God wants you to be, then, then, then that person who you may not even be comfortable with in your natural element, God will send you to minister to that very person because he's trying to work something out of us. Can I get a witness? First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Can we read together? Paul is writing to whom? The church at Thessalonica. Notice what he says. Are you there? Let's read. It says what? You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. Is that correct? Come on, read the next verse. It says, you know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you, what? Boldly, in spite of great opposition. In spite of great opposition. Let's read on. It says what? So you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with what? The good news. Our purpose is to please God. Stop. Our purpose is what? And what? Paul says, as he writes to the church, he says, my purpose is to please God and not people. Now, let me say something right quick. Sometimes, if you're not careful, and some of y'all, you, 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 I mean, people, let me, I'm going to say some of y'all, people in general sometimes uh, have a need to, to please others. I mean, we, we, we want to please people, right? Come on. I mean, you, you want people to be happy with you. Is that correct? For the most part, right? All right how many of y'all like to make sure people are happy? They're okay. People are around you, right? All right. Are you just mean on somebody? You, you don't want anybody? <laughs> Do we have any meanie beanies in here? It, okay, all right, watch it. Paul says our purpose is to please God, not people. But here's, here's the caveat. If people are into God and you're pleasing God, then, yeah, you ought to be pleasing people if they're into God. But the fact remains that everybody who we minister to and share with is not into God. So you can please God and not please people, right? But ultimately, if it comes down between God and people, guess what? Choose God. So our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone 
does what? Examines the motives of our heart. Verse 5 says, never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know, and God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. Do y'all have any of those kind of people in your life? Do you have people in your life who only want to be in your life so they can glean what you have? Huh? He says, we're not, we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. Guys, when it comes to ministry, never, never find yourself in a position to where you're serving to get accolades or pats on the back. If somebody praises you, that's great. Let another man's lip praise you, not your own. But never get discouraged because somebody didn't praise you when you know you're doing what God told you to do. Are you guys with me today? Watch this. Watch this. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you. But instead, we were like children among you or we were like a mother feeding and caring for our own children. Paul is describing his apostolic relationship with the saints at Thessalonica. And what he was saying was is that, listen, as an apostle, I had the right to receive support from you. But you know what? I'm cool with that. I can make tents. And I don't, want to, I don't want anything to hinder the gospel from being spread because some of y'all's mind may not be right and you want to accuse me of, 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 of coming here just so I can get some money from you. So keep your money is what he said. Come on now. He says, because I don't want anything to hinder the gospel from going forward. Watch this. Watch this. He says, as apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you, but instead we were like children among you or we were like a mother feeding and caring for our own children. We love you so much. Listen to this. We love you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Now, here's where discipling comes in. We say caring is discipling. Paul says, look at this last sentence here and do not miss this. Because some of us want to preach to people, but we don't want to spend any time with people. Some of us want to, want to share and talk or sing to people. But discipling goes beyond just sharing the good news. Look at what Paul says. We love you so much that we share it with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Our own lives also. Are y'all listening to this? So, so, so when it comes down, uh, we said as Christians, we are to, number one, engage with people. All right. Paul said, not only did I preach to you, but but I, I, I shared my own life with you. We were talking in the um, in the new members class this morning. I was sharing with them. We asked a question about what, what's the one thing that sometimes prevents people from from engaging and connecting on a more authentic level? Because one of the things that we try to create here is authentic community. In other words, we don't want to be just a place where you come on Sunday, gather, we praise God, sing, hear, preach, word, leave out. And there's no connectivity among the people who are part of this church. Uh, and, and, and so so authentic community is a, is a community of believers where we can engage with one another, connect with one another. And, and depending on our relationship status, we can we can we can have authentic communication. In other words, we can talk about more than the weather and sports. Hello. We can talk about more than just 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 the surface of the Bible. We can begin to deal with life issues. And you can help me and I can help you. 
Many people don't have those kind of authentic relationships. And that's one of the things that we as a body of believers want to and need to develop because the the, the church in uh, second, the second chapter of Acts, that church has spent time uh, of uh, uh, devoting themselves to the apostles' doctrine. They spent time fellowshipping together. They spent time sharing meals together. They spent time praying together. So authentic community is very important, but most people, a lot of people don't want to connect in authentic community because they've been hurt before by somebody, especially in the church. And so because they were hurt in last church they were at or, or maybe hurt in this church, what they do is they separate themselves. I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to stop going up there because I got hurt. What did God tell you to do? I know what God told me, but I was disappointed in somebody in the church. So now, because I'm disappointed with somebody in the church, I'm going to stop coming to church. Let me ask you a question. When you get disappointed with somebody on the job, do you stop going to work? I just need to know. Do, do you... When, 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 when that teacher at school you felt was unfair to you, do you drop out of school? Well, why is it that, that, that we would allow, and maybe somebody did hurt you, maybe somebody was unfair to you, but why would you allow the person who was unfair to you, who treated you wrong, to stop you from being in the place that God told you to be? That makes absolutely no sense to me because we got to stay attached to our purpose. But sometimes people, people are not willing to, to, to engage or create authentic community because they've been hurt in the past. So, uh, so engaging with people, we do that by establishing genuine relationships and sharing our lives and the gospel with people. I want to add, this is not on, on the PowerPoint, but add these two things up on, w- along with engaging with people. Not only should we engage with people, but we should equip people. Everybody say equip. We have to equip people to grow in Christ through God's word. We we need to help equip somebody. But if I can't help equip you if I haven't been equipped myself, if I haven't submitted myself to the discipling process, go to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse number 11 through 13, right? Ephesians 4, verse number 11 through 13. Equip, help the, not only should we engage with people for the purpose of creating authentic community, but we need to try to help equip people. All right. Equip. Ephesians 4 and 11 says, now these are the, the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists and the pastors and teachers. Is that what it says? Keep reading. It says what? Their responsibility. Whose responsibility? I need y'all to follow with me. Who, whose responsibility? OK. All right. Their responsibility is to what? Equip God's people. To do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. You know, sometimes people say, well, it's the pastor's fault because the church is not being built up. And in some cases, leadership may not be where it needs to be. But, but look at what the text says. It's the pastor's fault if the pastor's not equipping the people. <sighs> look at what it says. Again, whose responsibility? Not only the pastor, the, the pastor, teacher, Evangelists, what was the other ones? Back up, back up. Verse 11 says, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. These are what we call ministry gifts. And all these gifts are still needful. They were needful then and they're needful now. 
But what's their responsibility? Verse 12, let's go back. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Look at the next verse, write this, verse 13. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the, stat, to the full and complete standard of Christ. In other words, until we measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ, we're going to need those pastors, teachers, evangelists, and prophets and whatever to continue to equip the body of Christ. So, the body, so, so equip the body so the body can build the church. So what, what does that look like, pastor? Well, that means that, that I have a responsibility as your pastoral leader to help guide you and to equip you to be able to to go out and engage with people in a, an efficient, godly manner so that you can, you, you can help lead them to Christ and then help disciple them so they can grow in their faith and they can go out and reach somebody else. Amen? Look at verse 12, back up to verse 12. He said, verse 12 says, their responsibility, me specifically as your pastor teacher, is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So equip it. So we, not only should we engage with people, we should equip them. And lastly, we should empower them, empower them, uh, empower them. Go to 2 Timothy chapter number two, verse number two. 2 Timothy chapter number two, verse number two. So engage the people, equip them, and empower them. Now, guys, I need your help in doing this. This can't be just a solo pastor thing. That's why... I'm constantly encouraging and exhorting each one of us in here to make sure that we are uh, uh, growing in our faith, all right? Because I, I don't want you to just be a church member. I want you to be a disciple maker. I want you, yes, you, and God has gifted you. Every last one of you all are precious to God. And he desires to use you to build the kingdom. But now you got to put yourself in a position to do that. All right. Look at what the text says here. Watch this. Who's writing here? Somebody help me. The Apostle Paul. Who's he writing to? What was his relationship to Timothy? He was Timothy's spiritual father. Timothy was his son in the ministry. And notice what he tells Timothy right here. Back at the verse number one and do a read verse two. It says, Timothy, my dear son. In other words, you don't call somebody my dear son unless you had an endearing relationship with them. There was a connectivity, there was an authentic community that was, that, that, that was existed between Paul and Timothy. You need people in your life who you can be authentic with. I'm not talking about coming to church and look churchy. Because all of us know how to look churchy, look spiritual. Say the spiritual stuff. Read the lesson. Be able to expound on the lesson. Uh, be able to talk, maybe even teach the lesson. But I what God is looking for is authentic people who will be genuine with one another. Who, who, who have a level of transparency where you can encourage and be encouraged. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, come on, let's read. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now, now teach these truths to other what? Trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Now notice what Paul says here, and, 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 as I read this and I've, I've studied this before. Notice what he says. He says, teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. 
Sometimes we can spend a lot of time with people who are not trustworthy and who have no intention of passing along what they learned to anybody else. And what I've learned is sometimes you got to pull back from people who are not serious. I mean, you love them, you care for them, but if you're not serious about this gospel, why would I sit there and spend an hour talking to you and you're not going to do anything I said do or do anything that we, that we studied? That's wasting time. I, I've said it before, even when it comes to marriage counseling now. I've, I've learned that, that, yeah, time is valuable. And I've learned that there are some people who only want to come and just talk and, 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 and shoot arrows at the other person. They're not really interested in, in the strategy for making their, their marriage work. They want you to come inside with them. In other words, if we sit there and have a counseling session, and as a counselor, I give you three things to incorporate into your marriage relationship for the next month or so, and you come back and meet with me and you hadn't did one of those, you're wasting time. Your time and my time. And time is too precious to waste. Can I get a witness? I think some of y'all told me, even in the medical profession, uh, doctors have begun to identify patients who are non-compliant. And, 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 and when you're non-compliant, there's nothing the doctor can do to help you if you won't do what they tell you to do. Can we talk? Why are we so hard-headed? Why are we hard-headed? I mean, what, what, I mean, why, why is it that, that, that there's something that we can see and know, and we can know that, that it's good for us, but we won't do it? I'm telling you, God watches us, particularly when we get a word from him. When someone breaks, up the, breaks open the scripture, teaches us how to do a thing, but we walk away and we won't follow through on what we've just been taught because we're still accustomed to doing things our own way. Because remember, for effective ministry to take place, God's going to move us out of our comfort zone. And some of us are too comfortable doing life the way we've done it for the last 35, 40 years. How are you going to experience significant impact if you're still doing life the same way you've always done it, but you don't have any significant impact doing life the way you've always done it? How are you going to lose weight and still eating the same way you always ate? And exercise at the same level you've exercised for the last 20 years. You hadn't lost it in 20 years. Now, all of a sudden, that's going to start working. Let me ask you a question. How is that working for you? I'm not just talking to you. I'm talking to me too. Because the preacher preached to himself too, right? right? But guys, listen to me. It's, it's asinine for us to think that things are going to change when we continue to do things the way we've always done it. In our spiritual life, our individual life, our work life, on down the line. Guys, yo. In order for us to become effective in ministry, we got to get out of our comfort zone. We got to allow God's word to move us to change some things in our life by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit and allow, you know, have you ever just did something different based on what you learned, a principle? Your finances will never get better if you keep handling money the way you've always handled it. And it amazes me that we could put on a we can put on a financial seminar, we can have a class, and people won't show up. But, I, but if, I, if, I, if I actually raise your hand, how many of y'all need, need some more finances coming to your house? How many of y'all need to handle your money better? How many of y'all need uh, uh, to, some, some increase so that you can have leftover at the end of the month? And people's hands will grow up 
But if I said, well, okay, we're going to have a seminar on Saturday teaching you how to do this, how to do this, how to do this, how to have the money, how to budget, how to stop spending in places that you, but people won't show up. I mean, you have a few folks who, and half of them ain't going to do what they said. <laughs> Y'all know I'm telling the truth. They're going to come, they're going to nod, they're going to tell Yvonne and call, good, good information call. Where did they teach you, Yvonne? Oh, I got that. I got that. Leave right out of there and going to keep eating out every week and know it's breaking you. So my question is, it, it, for, for effective change to take place in ministry and in our own lives, we have to get out of our comfort zone. And get out of our comfort zone sometimes, is, but it's never comfortable because we've gotten comfortable doing it a certain way. And what we're doing is not working. All right? All right. So, so engage with people equip people and empower them. Paul said to Timothy, he says, now teach these things, teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. In other words, as your pastor, I want to empower you to be able to witness, to share, to affect change in people's lives. You don't have to always bring people to me. I'm just a vessel to train and equip you. There are going to be people who you're going to have influence over who won't even talk to me. That's why it's important for you to be equipped. Amen. Everybody say, equip me, Lord. Now, I'm, in, I'm going to empower you, but, but it, it, in other words, as, as your pastor and as a spiritual leader, we ought to try to empower people to do the work of ministry, not just depend on us for the work of ministry. All right? So, engage with people. Second thing we talked about, and we go back to our, our outline. We are to love in ways that grow and deepen our faith. We have to learn to love in ways that grow and deepen our faith. Now, how do we do that? Well, simply pointed, simply stated, we have to love as he loved. If we're going to love in ways that grow and deepen our faith, that means we have to love people with the love of Jesus Christ. Go with me to Ephesians, the fifth chapter, verse number one and two. Ephesians five, verse one and two. Love as he loved. Love in ways that grow and deepen our faith. The way we do that, we love as he loved. All of us know John 3.16, right? Can we quote it? Only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. God so loved that he gave his only begotten son. God gave something that was near and dear to him. So now, if we're going to love as he loved, that means there are going to be times in our expression of that love to people who need to know that we really care, that it's, it's, it's going to, it's really going to, it's going to, it's going to move us way out of our comfort zone. It's going to cost us something. See, showing that you really care means it costs you something. Look at what the text says here in Ephesians 5, 1. It says, well, imitate God, therefore... In everything you do, because you are his dear children. When you imitate somebody, what does that mean? You do just like they do. The text says, don't imitate Doyle Adams because Doyle Adams will mess up. Don't imitate Bobby Figaro. Bobby Figaro will mess up. But imitate God. Follow his lead. I like the way Paul put it, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Look at the next verse, read. It says what? Live a life filled with love 
following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Now, look at what the text says. Don't, don't miss this. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. What was his example? He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma. In other words, what he did pleased God. God even said it. At his baptism, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. So if I'm going to love like Christ loved, that means I got to offer myself as a sacrifice. That means that to obey God means that there are going to be some times I'm going to be asked to do some things that really I don't want to do. But if I'm going to love like Christ loved, that means that I'm going to sacrifice myself Sacrifice my wants for God's wants. And that's where we get into the, the muddy water when it comes to discipleship. That's when it gets into, yeah, we get kind of blinded because if we're going to, the text says live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. That means in every area, in every relationship, I need to follow the example of Christ. Love and offer himself as a sacrifice. How many of y'all have sacrificed for your spouse before? I mean, really sacrifice. I'm looking at some of y'all. Some of y'all only want it your way. And it's not your way. You're mad. You're upset. Because you want to do life your way. And if it's not your way, it's going to be hell to pay. That's not agape love. Jesus, look, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. And the text says, that's the same way we should love. My question to you is, when was the last time you sacrificed for somebody who was not your immediate family member? All right? So we've got to love in ways that grow and deepen our faith. Look with me again, go to John 13 and 34. Jesus' love was a costly love. It cost him something. His love was a caring love. His love was commanded love. We're commanded to love like he did. Look at what the text says. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Well, how did he love them? He loved them, he loved them unconditionally. He loved them sacrificially. He cared for them. So if we're, if we're told to love just like he did, then, then come on, guys. That means that we're going to have to get out of ourselves and allow him to live through us. So live in ways that grow and deepen our faith. Third thing that we said on last week is we need to pursue holiness. Pursue holiness. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1, 13 through 16. 1 Peter chapter 1, 13, 13 through 16. Everybody still with me? All right. Watch this. So think clearly and exercise self-control. Apostle Peter is writing here. He says, so think clearly. Think clearly. Think clearly. And exercise what? Self-control. Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Verse 14. Let's go. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back. Don't slip back. Don't slip back 
into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. How many of y'all are sitting here today uh, and you think about it for a second, that since you've been saved, you slip back in living the way you used to live? You slip back in doing some things that God had delivered you from. Look at me. You slip back into things that God had delivered you from. The text says, don't slip back in your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. Our flesh is our flesh. And the Bible says no good thing dwelleth in the flesh. Your flesh will desire some things that are not holy and that are not in line with God's will. So we got to be very careful that we, that, we, that we live as God's obedient children and don't slip back in the old ways of living to satisfy our desire. You didn't know any better then. Now you know better. Hello? Before you came to marriage retreat, you didn't know how to treat your wife, but now you know, so you don't have an excuse. So if you're doing it now the wrong way, it's because you're being disobedient to God and God can't bless disobedience. If you were a wife and you didn't know how to reverence your husband before, now, now you know since you've been in the marriage fellowship, so now you're held accountable for how you... You didn't know about financial responsibility until you came and were taught. Now that you know and now that you've been taught, you're held accountable for what you've been taught. The Bible says, to him that knoweth to do good and do it not, it's what? It's sin. So if you know something is right but don't do it, it's sin. A right action that you, you just don't do it. You didn't do a wrong action, you just didn't do the right action that you knew to do. So not doing something that was right that you know to do is right becomes sin to you. That's, a, that's called a sin of omission. Everybody said omission. It wasn't a sin of commission. You didn't commit something wrong. You just didn't do what you knew was right to do. And, and it's a sad commentary that sometimes in our families and in the church, we'll sit back and know something is wrong and won't say anything. He says here, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. Look at 15 and 16 as we get, get to this. But now you must be holy in everything you do. Now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. He's telling us we got to walk in holiness. Holiness don't mean that, that we don't mess up along the way, but what it says is that I have a lifestyle. I should have a lifestyle that when people look at me and look at my life, they should, they should see a person who's striving to follow Christ. Should have a practicing lifestyle. When you wallow in sin, that means you just you just kind of you, you know it's wrong. You just you in it. There's no remorse. There's no no attempt to repent. Something is wrong with you if that's you. Okay. All right. Now watch this. So verse sixteen. Read it. it says what? For the scriptures say, you must be holy, because I am holy. So we got to pursue holiness, guys. Pursue holiness with everything. And so what? What are some care considerations? And I'm gonna let you get out of here. Okay. Uh, Look at, look, look at this right quick. According to the Pew Research Center, people are becoming increasingly lukewarm toward God and are abandoning their faith. Additionally, there are people who have made a profession of faith but have not matured, been mentored, or come alive in Christ. Listen to that last sentence. There are people who, first it said people who are becoming increasingly lukewarm toward God and abandoning the faith altogether. There, there is a, a generation of young people now who don't go to church, 
who are not engaged with a body, a community of believers. They're just doing their own thing. Are y'all listening to me? And, 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 and beyond that, there, 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 there are people who have made a profession of faith but have not matured, been mentored, or come alive in Christ. And that's where we come into play. We have a responsibility to, to help them get to that point because if we're going to show that we really care, that means that we got to engage. We got to give up some of our time, sacrifice our talent and resources to, to connect with people on a more intimate level. So, so Brother Pastor, so what, what, are, what are you getting at? Well, some things that we got to consider as believers. First of all, number one, we need to, we got to start recognizing the opportunity that's before us. Recognizing the opportunity that is before us. Recognizing the opportunity. The parable of the sower is a story about people's hearts and their receptivity to the word of God. And when you, when you read, the, how many of y'all have heard the parable of the sower? Where the sower went forth to sow seed and some fell on different types of ground. Those different types of ground were representative of people's hearts. Okay, and and each of those four seeds referenced in this parable reveals how people respond when they hear the word of God and what happens when they face times of trouble. Now, now, only one of those four seeds is was quick to trust in God and transform and thrive. And that was the good soul. All right. We had, we had remember we had the seed that fell upon the path that reflects an unresponsive heart. As a matter of fact, turn there right quick. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Go to Matthew 13 with me right quick. Matthew 13. And we'll, we'll look at this. Because when you're facing people, you need to understand what kind of heart you're planting the seed of the word into. Verse number one of Matthew 13 chapter. Recognizing the opportunity. Later the same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. Verse 3 says, he told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on the footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Next verse says, other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying, un underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun and soon, and since they did not have deep roots, they died. Remember we talked about being rooted in Christ Jesus? Sometimes people are not rooted in Christ. That's why they fade and they, they wilt away when the heat of adversity comes their way. Look at the next verse. Other, other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Next verse says, anyone, who, he, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. He begins to explain it. Verse 10, he says what? His disciple came and asked him, why do you use parables when you talk to, to the people? He says, he replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. 12, to those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. And, though, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, all of y'all who are sitting there right now, not listening to my sermon, hoping I get finished and quit, you ain't going to know nothing. That's what it's worth saying. That's what, that, that's, 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 I put it in doorology form, but that's what he's saying. Listen to what God says. 
Listen to what Jesus says. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. And they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, to those who are thinking about the game, to those who are thinking about what you're going to eat, even what little understanding you have, it's going to be taken away from you. That's why you go around and say, I don't understand that Bible. I know why. Because <laughs> you're not listening. That's what he says. I didn't make that up. Verse 13. That is why I use these parables, for they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. Guys, God wants to pour into us. But if we don't have the mindset to listen, what little bit we do know is going to be taken away from us. So recognize the opportunity. We have opportunity to sow into people's lives, guys, guys, and we got to get the word of God. So second thing, second thing we got to, we have to realize part of our responsibility is addressing the need. There are going to be times when needs arise. Um, and we as a body of believers have to be available to address the need. Because address, addressing the need is going to show that we really care. Need, there are too many needs for us to, for one church to meet all those needs. I told the class this morning. That's why I think God allows missions and other missionary efforts calls for a, a coming together as the body to help meet those needs. So, but but as a, as a body of believers to show that we really care, we have to start addressing the need. Uh, everybody is at different places in their faith journey. And every conversation presents an opportunity to represent or represent Jesus and to encourage people in their faith walk. So when you meet people who are going through something, that's an opportunity to address the need. Everybody needs Jesus. Okay? Whether they know it or not, they need it. Lastly, uh, functioning as the church. We got to begin to uh, function function as the church. And and I, I don't have time to go through all this passage, but we, we have to, uh, we need each other and we can't function alone. We got to function as a church. Cassandra, we need to work together. Everybody here, we need to work together. No, there are no long ranges in the body of Christ. If you're sitting here and you're, in the, you're part of the body of Christ and you think you can do it by yourself, then you, you've missed God altogether. God created every one of us with the need for other people in our lives. Okay? So we got to function as the church, not as a solo act. Amen? That Acts the 8th chapter, verse 29 through 31, reminds us that Christians who are not rooted in their faith need someone to sow in them and help them experience the fullness of God. So that's when we show we care. And lastly, we got to realize that the stakes are high. They are high. People are dying and going to hell. People are living life less than what God required or, or, or wants them to live. The stakes are high, guys. Lives are being torn apart. People are experiencing all kinds of heartache and hell in their lives. And it don't have to be so. God didn't suffer to be so, but, but we, they need people who will connect with them and engage with them to empower them and equip them uh, to be able to live a full and vibrant Christian life. Okay? Two points I'm going to give you and I'm gone. Two points. Key points. Out of everything we said, remember this. You can make a difference. 
touch yourself in the, in the, on the heart and say, I can make a difference. Say, I can make a difference. Don't ever think that you're too small and insignificant for God to use you to impact somebody's life. You can make a difference. And lastly, we need to understand that faith ebbs and flows. Faith ebbs and flows. What, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, there, there are times when, when, when our faith is challenged and, and people need to know that we, you know, we, we, can, we can stand in faith, but we, there are times when, when our faith may get a little weak, but don't give up then. Don't give up. Keep pressing forward. Amen. We are called upon to be people who show that we really care. And we can make a difference. And our faith, it ebbs and flows, but God gives us strong faith. And we want to and, and we need to walk in that strong faith. Amen. Get a Lord a hand to pray.